You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am, in fact, your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. We're going to rock and roll, man. There's a lot to do today. Um, what, I, what I would like to do is turn our attention to the Jets, but we've, we've got some other stuff to do. Um, I did want to talk about the Bears game, but I haven't seen it yet. You have, so it would be kind of stupid to give my thoughts on how the game's going to go. Why would you want to hear a preview when you've already seen it? So that doesn't make a lot of sense. I am excited to watch it, though. Uh, I do think, part of me is doing this to jinx it, but I do think the Bears are slowly becoming a competent team. Still don't have the talent to be good, but um, you know they're one of those teams that digs deep and plays above their talent level. At least that's what they're doing right now, uh, seemingly. Some teams don't do that as much. Um, I, like I said, I wanted to transition away from the bad. Let's move away from the bad, but I can't because certain things are happening and they're all, all the dots are connecting and I'm sitting here going, it's too perfect. It's, it's, it's almost as if, you know, we've, we've had, all right, there's too much going on in my brain at once. Let's, let's slow down. Let's slow it down. Take it easy. Relax. Take it easy. Nobody else thought of sticks when I said that. All right, fine, fine. So here, here's, the, here's how this started. Yesterday, trying my best to keep up on the massive backlog of podcasts that I'm, I'm trying to listen to, I listened to uh, JJ's podcast on the Packernet Podcast Network, and he said a bunch of stuff that triggered some things in my brain, but I was watching my kid, and I'm like, I gotta figure out how to take a note, because I'm gonna forget in eight seconds, and I was supposed to, I was gonna like take out a pen and paper, but then I didn't, because I would have lost that. So I'm going to do my best to stitch together the different things, and but one of them for sure. Well, let's start with this. Let's start with the other one, because once I get on this, I'm going to be gone for a while. The first one was, he was talking about how we need to look at the team going forward. And again, I'm trying not to butcher what he said, because I'm, I'm forgetting large chunks. If you really want to know, you should go listen to it if you haven't already. But anyways, for myself, here, here's the deal, because people get all mad. If you 
say that I still think it's a good team, then certain people, certain contingents say, well, you're a stupid idiot, and it, you're, it's only a couple you know, losses, and we still have a good record, blah, blah, blah. On the other side, if you state that you still have confidence, then, oh, you're an idiot, this team is not good, open your eyes, whatever. One of the things I started thinking of as he was talking was DVOA. As random as it sounds, stick with me. One of the things that they have is, I think it's adjusted DVOA, and um, actually, that's not it. There's a thing that they do where, like week one, they will weigh, I think it's last year. They'll look a lot at last year where you were and then kind of a little bit of this year. Because, you know, there's not a ton of information here, but there was a lot of information last year. And if you combine the two things, you probably get a better picture. It's why when the Packers got blown out, people are like, nah, it's still the Packers. Because we don't just start from nothing. We, we have a base of information. And so that's what most of us are doing. We start with our base of information prior to the season. Then week one happens, and we kind of look at it and go, okay, maybe there's new information, but I'm going to stick primarily with what I knew from last year and keep an eye on a lot of different things. After week two, three, four, five, you kind of eventually get to the point where you start to look, you, you weight what we're seeing here this year more heavily than what we saw last year. And I think what you're seeing with the more negative people, and granted there are generally negative fans and generally positive fans, but... The fan base generally, and why there's more seeming negativity, is realizing that on a week-to-week basis, what we're seeing is is weighing more heavily than last year. And I had a caller call in, you know, yesterday, the day before, whatever, talk about, you know, look at our last, not just this year, but go back another couple of weeks. It hasn't been great. So all of us have to weigh the information between what we think we know based on what we've seen in the past, right? We, we've seen Aaron Rodgers perform at a high level, and Jones and Dylan and Bakhtiari and Jenkins and all these different pieces. We know what they can do. But we also know what we're seeing. So each one of us has these piles of information that we have to mix and match. Some people like to just pour in all of last year and say everything is great, everything's wonderful, and all this stuff is nonsense and it's going to get figured out. Other people look at more at this information and say this is what we are this year, and last year is irrelevant. It doesn't matter most of us have some kind of a mix in between. I am more heavily going to be looking at it, disregarding last year, disregarding it. Now, you can't do that entirely because we know what Aaron Rodgers can do and all that stuff. But I don't know the 2022 Green Bay Packers. All I know is what I've seen this year, and I need to stop pretending that I know for a fact that this is an elite team and just look at it as a team that I'm, I'm learning about. And what I've learned so far, you know, some good, some not good at all. But I say that for two, th- two reasons. One is I realize that that's how I need to orient myself. And it, it's also nice, too, because I'm going to try. I'm, I'm going to fail miserably, but I'm going to try to give myself permission to do what I've been preaching about. When everybody talks about Super Bowls and the Super Bowls are the only thing that matters, I think that's stupid. Because when your team plays and has a great play, you cheer. Why? They didn't win the Super Bowl. That play didn't affect the Super Bowl. Why are you cheering? Because it's more than that, and you know it. On some level, I need to stop worrying about the macro and try to just enjoy football games. Just enjoy football. Enjoy the fall weather, some good food, hanging out with my kid, my family, just watching football. Cheering for the good plays and trying as hard as I can to just do the old, aw, shucks, when it's a bad play. Because I personally... I think, well, I do get pretty excited on good play. I'm probably 
slightly more negative on bad plays than I am positive on good plays. And that's stupid. Enjoy it. That's what it's there for. Stop worrying about the implications so much. I don't know what this team is. They seem to not be a great team, but so what if they're not? What are we going to do? What if I told you right now they're going to win six games this year? What would you do? Would you abandon the team? I mean, is that the fan you want to be? I think some of us are struggling because we just don't want it to be real. And I'm not saying it's real, but I'm just let's let's just play in the hypothetical for a minute. What if it was? I know we don't want it, right? We're 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 fighting against it. This camp, you stupid jerk, you're wasting it. You don't do this to me. There's too much talent. Joe Barry, you jag off. Get this defense going. Partially because we've seen it every year, so we expect it. Partially because we know we have the talent. It's, it's harder for us to accept maybe not being great. Again, not saying. We're just talking here. Roger said he expects that they're going to get it figured out and they're going to get on a roll. Probably. Although he's primarily talking about the offense, and I think the defense might be the bigger issue at this point, to be completely honest with you. Again, that's just me theorizing, putting my, my own thoughts together here. You can think whatever you want. What if, though, we just convinced ourselves we're a six-win team and said, so what? So what? Still my team. Still going to rock with them. Still going to cheer for them. Somebody else wins a Super Bowl. That's good. That's a fun experience. I'm glad somebody gets to experience that. I still get to enjoy football. Because I don't want to be that guy that just trashes the team 24-7 because they're not up to my standard, which is Super Bowl caliber. Because then, guess what? I don't have a team anymore when they're not Super Bowl caliber. It's not to say you can't acknowledge what it is. But I got to stop, I think generally something to think about for all of us is to stop setting a standard that the Packers should always be the best team. They should always be better than everybody else. Or at the very least, they should always be in the top five. There's no reason any team should ever always be top five. In fact, nobody ever is. Is it okay if, if after 30 years we take a step back at some point? Or are we going to bail on the team and, and scream and swear at everybody? Just a thought. I'm So... And again, primarily, I want to orient myself that way so that I can just enjoy football. I'm, I, I'm going to fail. I know I am, but I'm going to try my best to train myself to just enjoy the game. Somebody had asked a question in the press conference, I think either to Matt LaFleur or, or no, it was to Aaron Rodgers. I think a coach said it and Rodgers like, that's stupid. And I was like, well, that's, that's me. But it was something to the effect of after a while, winning doesn't feel good. It becomes the expectation. That's where I've gotten to. And I think that's where a lot of Packer fans are at. Winning is just a relief. It's like, oh, phew. almost almost didn't pull that one out. Stupid Packers, jeez. And it just robs us of our joy because we went in expecting to blow out the Giants. And here's the thing. I didn't expect that, and I'm still angry. I told you that this is a bad matchup. I told you this is a bad situation with us going to London. I told you all of that. I said I expect them to win, although I was kind of nervous because, again, when I ran the numbers, we actually lost, and so I kind of just tweaked them a little bit to make it that we won. <laughs> now we'll just disregard week one. Well, I guess I shouldn't have because we lost. Uh, but even even expecting it to be a tough game and a hard-fought game, when you watch them do it, it's like, you stupid jerk It's just football, man. Enjoy it. Just a thought. I don't know. It is a good question, though. What if we win? What if, what if you knew for a fact we were going to win six games? Would you watch the games? Would you give up on the team? Would you burn your jerseys? Are we a fan base that supports? A, I, I, you know, when people say you guys would never support the team on a losing record, our retort is always, oh, check out the 80s. Yeah, well, that wasn't us, bro. That might have been some of us, but even, even the fans that were there in the 80s, you were there for a long time, the, the 70s and the 80s, and you were kind of used to it. Now you're kind of getting spoiled. You're allowed, you, you, people can get spoiled and, and not know how to handle it, you know? Can we? Again, I'm not saying we can't criticize the team and just, just state what is. 
But at the end of the day, can we say these are the flaws and these are the things that, that need to get fixed and here's how I think it should get fixed, but whatever. At the end of the day, I'm a Packer fan. I love the team. I love the players, and I'm going to support them. And I'm, I'm bringing it up because one way or another, we're headed in that direction. Even if we pull out of this tailspin, and it is a tailspin, the future doesn't look great because we're on the verge of accepting the fact that maybe this defensive coordinator isn't the answer at the exact same time that we're about to lose our quarterback. So, so the odds of there being a time when we have a coordinator and a defense that is playing at its peak and we still have Aaron Rodgers, we're talking about an unbelievably narrow window that may not even exist. Those two points in time maybe don't even touch. If we're talking about maybe after this year he's not here, which is extremely unlikely, they never bail on a guy that quickly. But let's just say they did. Is Rodgers even coming back next year? And if he does, what happens to it takes a year to get reacclimated and all that on top of losing a bunch more players? So now we're talking about 2024. Is Roger still here in second year in the system? I think it's unlikely he's here in 2024. But if he is, that's it. That is the final year. It's second year in the new coordinator system, and it's Roger's last year. But that ain't going to happen. So either we work with what we got and make it work, or we figure out how to be a fan base that supports the team through thick and thin. Because it's getting thin, and it's going to get thin at some point. Who knows? Maybe Rodgers stays and everything's great. Maybe Rodgers leaves and we draft an elite quarterback and we go for another 30-year run. I don't know. Who knows? But, you know, if we were to put odds on that, they're, they're slim. Anyways, um, so that was the first thought, is, is how to try to orient my thinking going forward. Number one, I'm primarily looking at this year. I'm not looking at last year in 2020 and 2019 and saying, well, that's who they are. This is fake. Well, no. This year is what, what it is. And if it changes, it's because this year changed, not because we re-manifested 2019. Because we're going to be good in a different way than we were then. And number two is, use that as an opportunity to just enjoy football. Right now, I'm watching a bad team, but it's still my team. I'm going to watch it, and I'm going to enjoy it. When we get touchdowns, I'm going to cheer. Win or lose, whatever. It's just the end of the game. Again, I'm not going to be able to do that, but I, I need to try. Because it's, it's no sense being so miserable all the time. Secondly, um, there's a very brief comment that he made talking about JJ that, that really sparked something. And, and, and again, now I'm seeing things. Bill Huber did an article. Um, who's the other guy here? Do, 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 uh, Ben Solak, very intelligent man now over at the ringer did another article and all these three these three things combined into just a light bulb mo- moment and and just confirming what I saw on the all 22 and everything else what he said is talking about JJ the defense has all the talent but the offense is the one that's grading out well and as soon as he said that it just it dawned on me that what I was talking about in terms of you know digging deep and actually pulling through and playing above what what you can do that's the offense. And it's not that everybody's a scrub. You got Aaron Rodgers, you got Aaron Jones, you got Bakhtiari, Jenkins is struggling, but there's not much. I mean, we don't have any tight ends. The wide receivers, you know, as much as we like them, they're they're not top tier. Not yet, maybe someday, but right now they're not. The offensive line, John Runyon, I mean, he got a good running grade. I don't know. I didn't watch every snap, but every time I saw him, he was embarrassing himself. Josh Myers, I think, was more bad than good. Again, he grades out fine, but and Royce is a disaster as a pass blocker. Maybe a decent run blocker, but he is a complete disaster as a pass blocker. Dylan, I think, took a step back from last year. He's still fine, but I don't see like that, you know, something special. It's just, 
He's, he's quick and he's strong, and he uses that to his advantage. But they're making it work. And, and as much as we look at, when I went back and watched it, if you, if you just look at play calling, I think Matt LaFleur puts the offense in an opportunity to succeed all the time. It's just a failure of execution a lot of times. On defense, though, I'm seeing guys, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, doing the best they can with what they have, and it's stupid. It's like you conceded seven yards on second and ten based on your defensive alignment, and so now it's third and three. It's like you're so desperate to get them to third down, you would concede seven yards? I don't understand that. You want them in third and long, not third and short. That's so stupid to me. Benjamin Solak wrote an article from The Ringer. It's called, Are the Packers' Issues About Scheme or Talent? And he said, yes. On one side of the ball, Green Bay has uh, the players, but not a system that will maximize them. On the other, the team has a smart playbook, but not the players to execute. What can the team do to fix its problems? I think this is exactly it. Go back and watch the All-22. As much as we want to piss and moan about Matt LaFleur and even, even the wide receivers, I'm seeing them get open. And most of the time they're getting open, it's not necessarily a talent thing. That's what we always want these elite wide receivers. We don't need them. They're being schemed open. You have to know what to do and when to do it and all that stuff for sure. But Matt LaFleur is doing a great job to get his guys in a position to succeed. And, and, and Rodgers, in a sense, is too, as much as we complain about him. He's the one that can read a defense and say we should check to this play and do this, 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 this to put guys in a position to succeed. But sometimes you got wide receivers that can't win. Sometimes you have an offensive line that, that gives up pressure too quickly. Sometimes you have young guys that run the wrong routes or don't have the right timing. Sometimes you have Rodgers not seeing guys that are open. Sometimes you have Rodgers throwing bad passes. It's a combination of all these different things that keep stalling out drives. I want to read a little bit of this article, kind of starting mid-paragraph here. The Green Bay Packers also belong in that bucket of NFC disappointments. They're 3-2 and two with their past two Sundays consisting of an overtime win over the Bailey Zappi-led New England Patriots and a London loss to Daniel Jones-led New York Giants. Things aren't bleak in Green Bay, but they're certainly a little cloudy. The first week of the season are often bumpy and uncertain. Rodgers famously told fans to R-E-L-A-X after a 1-2 and two start in 2014, turning that season into 12-4, and four, finishing the division title. Even last year, the Packers chased their week, week one stinker against the Saints with seven straight victories en route to another division title and another MVP award for Rodgers. But this year feels a little different, and I think that's important. Because a lot of the positive fans want to keep pointing back and saying, we've been through this, we've seen this, you guys should know better. Mm, this is not the same. This, I mean, we know what disjointed feels like. We remember 2018 where you're like, this is, something is wrong. What is wrong with this team? That didn't happen last year. I mean, you had the, the week one crap fest, and then week two they won, and then they just kept winning, and it was just this thing. Something just feels wrong. I mean, the locker room didn't, deteriorate any of these other years with the exception of 2018 when the locker room was a disaster starting in week what two the locker room started to dissipate he continues and says there are issues on both sides of the ball some relating to the team's scheme some to its players here's what went wrong in green bay and what i think needs to be done to fix it defense we have the players we don't have the scheme and it's funny because if you go back and listen to the chalk talk episode i did with clayton yesterday we kind of touched on this stuff very similar sentiments. But I, I, again, all of it's coming together, and this I 100% feel like is the thing. And even, even people that have called in, it's like, you know, somebody had said, it's like we got a Ferrari for a defense, but we don't have anybody that knows how to drive it. You know, we're in a retirement home driving 25 miles an hour. We're not utilizing the talent. He goes on to say the Packers have seven first round picks on the defensive side of the ball Rashawn Gary, Devontae Wyatt, Kenny Clark, Quay Walker, Jair, 
Stokes and Savage, these aren't old wash transplant first rounders. Each was selected by the Packers, and the oldest is Clark at 27 years old. Good Lord. This list doesn't include even include big contract players like Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, and Devondre Campbell. The Packers' defense has talent, and when a talented defense is playing poorly, it falls on the defensive coordinator. First of all, period, end of sentence, nothing more needs to be discussed. Anybody saying that Joe Barry doesn't deserve some, some blame, there, there's nothing else to be said about this. When you have this much, ta- and it is talent. First round doesn't necessarily mean talented, but we know. We, we can remove um, the two rookies from this year if you want. And we could even remove Savage if you want and just say, well, we don't know that he's good. Fine. You still have Rashawn Gary, who's one of the best edge rushers in football. You still have Kenny, uh, Kenny Clark, one of the best defensive tackles in football. Jair, one of the best corners in football. And Stokes, who is a good football player. And that's just first-round players. That doesn't include Razul. Who's, who we saw is very good. Devondre, who we saw is very good. Amos, as they said, who we know is very good. And then and then just solid guys like Dean Lowry. Jaron Reed is not an elite player, but he's a solid veteran. Nothing more needs to be said. The Packers' defense has talent, and when a talented defense plays poorly, it falls on the defensive coordinator. Period. End of sentence. They go on to talk about his experience, which of course is not very glowing. Talks about he's very experienced. The experience wasn't great, though. Barry's defenses were below average in Washington and cellar dwelling in Detroit. In his first season with the Packers, Barry's defense was 22nd by DVOA, 19th by expected points added per play allowed. Five games into the season, the Packers' defense is 23rd by DVOA, 16th by EPA per play allowed. So better, maybe, but still bad. Barry hasn't put a good defense on the field in his six seasons as a coordinator, so why does he currently have a Packers job? And they're like, well, it's because he came from that Ram system and everybody wants it. So all the guys, uh, Evero, Aubrey Pleasant, Barry, they've all been hired off the staff. Goes on to talk about tendencies. Uh, they brought pr- pr- plenty of the Broad Stoke Staley's defense to Green Bay. Uh, they present light boxes 65% of the time, eighth in the league, two high shells 75% of the time, third in the league. Uh, da, da, da. On film, we see a bunch of the same stuff being run by all branches of the Vic Fangio tree, bare front, split safety, zone coverage. How can, he goes on to say, how can a team with this much talent run a system that has largely succeeded in the NFL be bad? It's because they're poorly coached. Throw away, throw on any Packers film and you'll see players put into disadvantageous spots. The back seven regularly fail to exchange routes and coverage as players miscommunicate on rules and responsibilities, leaving open receivers streaking across the field. After week one, it seemed like it was just an issue of Justin Jefferson's talent and trickiness in Minnesota's designs, but since then, the Packers still haven't been able to deal with common route combinations. He put together a video. He shows a, a, a video clip. He made a YouTube video called Packers Defense Can't Cover, and it's just a cut-up of all the times they're just running crossing routes, and we don't know what to do. Crossing routes especially have caused the Packers' issue in zone coverage. Green Bay has allowed 134.3 passer rating to opposing quarterbacks on plays with at least one crossing route. Only the Steelers are worse. Put the Packers in man coverage, and they're the sixth best, but there are only nine snaps in that sample. One of the things I had mentioned on the stream yesterday, and I'm, I'm, I'm very slow to come around to these things as far as you know, overreacting. I don't like to overreact. But after a while, you start to see enough to realize maybe there's something here, and I'm, I'm really starting to buy into the man coverage thing. Here's my thought, and I, again, I mentioned this on Clayton's uh, video yesterday. You should go and watch that as well, I'm giving you a lot of assignments today. His, uh, I think his podcast uh, should have been released yesterday, actually, now that I think. I was, th- I was thinking of the video, but I, I forgot it was actually a podcast, so that should have been released yesterday. You can listen to it. But um, one of the things I thought is... You know, th- this 
Joe Barry defense that's succeeding in the NFL is largely a very, not entirely, I mean, part of it is to counteract what NFL offenses are doing. However, a lot of defenses are able to succeed with it, and not many defenses have as much talent as we do. My thought, personally, is that this is a very good defense that can be run by anyone. It's similar to the Shanahan thing, where you don't need an elite quarterback and all these things. You know, it's, it's, it, it just kind of works without it. But we have an elite defense. And I kind of wish we had looked at more like the Ravens defense, like we just played with the Giants, where they're very aggressive up front and they trust their guys to play man across the board. Because we, we are one of the rare teams that has the ability to do that. And at a high level, we could do it way better than the Giants can. We have better pass rushers and way better DBs. And instead, we're dropping in zone, and the guys are getting confused, and they don't know when to pass off and who to pass off and whose guy is who and what we're doing. We're five weeks into the season, and they don't know what they're doing. And again, I understand, well, it's, it's, it's execution. They just need to know what to do, and it'll be fine. I don't know, man. E- even if that's the thing, it's a coaching issue, is it not? None of your players are ready to play. They don't know what to do. Other teams are succeeding. Why are our guys not succeeding? We're trying to get cute with guys that are just elite football players. Just let them play. Uh, it says the Packers are primarily a zone team is not surprising considering Barry's influences. From their pre-snap uh, split safety looks, the Packers either play quarters uh, about 19% of the time with both safeties sticking to their half of the field or rotate one safety into the box and the other center field and play cover three 44.6% of the time. This maps into Staley's defense when Barry was there. Uh, the Rams did that similarly. He goes through the numbers, don't care. But the fact that the Packers don't play man coverage is surprising relative to their defensive backfield's talent level. Exactly. We're trying to cover up for weaknesses that we don't have. With Alexander, Stokes, Douglas, Amos, and Savage, the options are available for stiffing man coverage, uh, stifling man coverage against a variety of receiving cores. Douglas can bounce outside for big receivers. Alexander can play over the slot, but Barry does not tap into that talent, uh, talented secondary, save for clear passing downs. The Packers roll out man coverage 15% of the time on first and second down, which is ninth lowest figure in the league. On third downs of at least five yards, that number doubles. The Packers' early down, late down splits are perhaps the most clear illustration of the defense's issues. The table below shows how often the defense gets successful play, blah, blah, blah. The Packers are a bottom quartile team on first and second down, and then they get momentum on third down, they become the league's best defense. Sorry, it's not momentum. I was like, that sentence did not make sense. The moment they get to third down, they become the league's best defense. So in terms of rank here on this chart, 24th on first down, 31st on second down, number one on third down. But he goes on to say, we can interrogate these numbers a little further to understand why the Packers look so good on third downs. The main reason is because they aren't forcing them. With the league's second worst success rate on second down, the Packers are so frequently giving up first downs before even getting to third down that they faced only 53 third downs this year. This is a third down defense. That's when we thrive. We get the pass rush and we got the corners just playing man across the board, but we never get there. Why is that? I wonder if it's because we give up seven yards on second and 10 or just give up a first down because you, you give him seven yards. All he has to do is run for three. So if he can turn and run, it's a first down. It's, I don't, whatever. That 53 is the second lowest number in the league. And when they do face third downs, it's often with a far way to go. Third down offense facing the Packers need an average of 7.55 yards to gain, the fifth highest number among NFL defense, et cetera, et cetera. But the Packers' third down performance is also a product of their changing fronts. The Packers lead the league in blitz rate on first and second down with 43.2%, but they aren't really blitzing. They're sending five pass rushers because of how often they line up in a five down front. I don't know. He's, he's saying they're sending five, but that's not actually a blitz. 
The Packers don't have a defensive back with more than four pass rushing snaps this season. At linebacker, Smith and Gary are rushing over 90% of their snaps, while the true off-ball linebackers, Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell, are rushing on 15.6% and 3.9% of their snaps, respectively. Campbell's number is the sixth lowest among NFL linebackers this year. On early downs, Packers line up four or five rushers and send those four or five dudes. They don't run many stunts or twists or change uh, where the rushers are coming from. The Packers are one of the o- one of only two teams with no snaps of only three rushers. And their four total snaps of six-plus rushers is one of the lowest number. And behind those rushers, they play zone coverage, either cover three or quarters. Then they hope that you'll stumble your way into a third down. When you eventually do, it's usually a long one. Their pass rushers can tee off, they can play stickier coverage, and they can get off the field. This is unacceptably passive, straightforward, and predictable way to play defense, he says. Skip down a little bit, he says, what's the solution here? The solution is to grow up. Get creative. Assume the other team has also has talent and realize that you have to adjust week to week, half to half, drive to drive if you want to survive in the NFL. Staley's Rams played tons of quarter, quarter, half to change up zone coverage tendencies and get a safety dropping on the ever-dangerous crossing route. The Packers aren't doing that. Other Fangio-inspired teams, like the Eagles under Jonathan Gannon, are dropping one of their uh, other outside linebackers on the bare front to create confusion. The Packers aren't doing that. The Broncos under Ajiro Evero are gaming the front. The Packers aren't doing that. Green Bay's defensive coaching staff is failing its players. They can change that. They have to fix the execution issues within the defense they're running or change what they're running altogether. Ideally, both. These changes are possible and achievable, but they require humility, an admission of what currently happening isn't working and can be rare among NFL coaches. Isn't this exactly what I said? Don't expect anything to change. He even says right here, it's very rare that at any point they ever acknowledge that they're wrong and make sweeping changes. And I don't think he ever will. I think this is the defense. This is what they brought him in to do. This is what he said he would do. This is what he's going to do. And they're going to go back to the tape, and you know what they're going to see? They're not going to see, hey, we should have changed it up. He's going to look at the tape and say, you were supposed to be here. You were supposed to be here. You were supposed to be here. You didn't execute properly. Therefore, I'm right. You're wrong. If you had executed what you were supposed to do properly, we would have succeeded. So we're going to work on training you how to execute properly so that this can work. That's how this works. He goes on to say the Packers' defensive changes are within their grasp. The same may not be true for the Packers' offense. The offense, he goes on to say, is a talent issue. I'm not going to go through that. It's a whole lot of more reading. If you want to see it, you can check it out at The Ringer. But generally, I, I, I tend to agree. I think the scheme is fine. It's fantastic. We just need execution. Um, well, maybe I will touch on a couple points. <laughs> he starts off with saying Green Bay's offensive struggles do not seem as dire as the defense's. They are 8th by DVOA, 14th by EPA per play. Not incredible, but above average and far from the team's biggest problems. But there are issues under the surface. The first issue is that the field is shrinking. Rodgers' completion percentage has plummeted while his inaccurate pass rate has leapt. EPA per dropback and success rate both show that his efficiency to these areas of the field is way down. In other words, we're able to execute less and less. They're starting to take things away, and, and we're shrinking into what we're able to do. So now we're being relegated to these quick passes, the screens, the, the jet sweeps, and all these things because we're not really succeeding pushing the ball. That's being taken away from us more and more. Falling off shouldn't come as a surprise. Not only is Devontae Adams gone, and Adams is perhaps the league's most dominant receiver, but field stretcher MVS is no longer taking snaps along the outside and challenging defensive backs on one-on-ones says this is pretty straightforward. The drop-off in wide receiver play is because you have a drop-off in talent. An outside ball to Randall Cobb or Lazard is less likely to be, to be completed than it was to Adam. 
This was the expected tailing off the Packers offense, and while the Green Bay Packers offensive coaching staff believe they could work around it, they're failing to do so. He says one of the things the Packers like to do is, is that pony package, two running back. He says the Packers believed they could force defenses into base sets, run RPOs with the backs motioning out of the backfield, and find a downfield passing game off of play action. In other words, we put two running backs in there, everyone's going to play base. They're going to have to come heavy. Then we can run play action and destroy them down the field. He said Rodgers predicted in the offseason that Dylan and Jones could become 50-catch running backs. This is not even remotely happening. And he says it's, it's, it's not being successful, and as a result, we're just not seeing it very much because it's not working. He shared a tweet uh, from J.J. Zachariason. Per Next Gen Stats, A.J. Dillon played a season-low 31% of Green Bay's snaps today. His previous season-low was 50.8% in Week 1. His target share has gone down each week this year, 17%, 12%, 9%, 6%, Week 5, 0%. Says that leaves the Packers in, in in a tricky spot with two back personnel scrapped. The Packers are now stuck throwing all sorts of short game RPOs, many of which develop behind the line of scrimmage. Two players who are not as dangerous with the ball in their hands, uh, to players with more that are not as dangerous. When a swing route four yards behind the line of scrimmage went to Dylan or a screen uh, went to Adams, it felt dangerous because the ball carrier was dangerous. Now the ball is going to Robert Tunyon, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, and Lazard. The only players generating positive EPA on targets behind the line of scrimmage for the Packers are Jones and Tunyon. Yet, despite the lack of success, Rodgers throws behind the line of scrimmage more than any quarterback in the NFL. It worked when the field was wider and longer when defenses were worried about the deep outside throws to Adams or MVS. That concern isn't there with those players. And as a result, the field is shrinking. We kind of saw that last week when those two jet sweeps were not successful, nowhere near as successful as they have been in the past. They're starting to figure us out. And if we don't start to learn to counteract, ideally, primarily, taking shots, which is, you know, again, Christian Watson would be nice. I mean, we can send him down the field. The, the, the problem is, and if you can see this when you watch all 22, they're not as scared of him anymore. And it's because we don't utilize him. He goes in motion and they're like, we'll just put him in man because you're not going to give it to him anyways. And if he does, we'll, we'll drop a safety and pop him. Or, or the linebacker will get there because your offensive lineman can never reach us. Not a big deal. We'll be all right. And on the deep passes, I mean, we're not going to throw to him. So who cares? He says, Rodgers feels it shrinking and he wants to fight it. That's why you start to get from Rodgers these desperation heaves. Downfield launches into routes that have not separated at all with the hope of ripping off a chunk gain, winning a one-on-one, forcing a defense to fear Lazard or Watson or Dobbs. As the Giants game spiraled late for the Packers, Rodgers began hunting for deep shot, the killing blow that would cement the Packers' win. He just couldn't find it. And that's been an issue all year. As Kale Clinton detailed for Football Outsiders, this is the worst deep passing season Rodgers has had since 2018. This is a worryingly similar sight for Packers fans, as it's not dissimilar to what Rodgers used to do under former head coach Mike McCarthy. That's and and that's the that's the thing. This reminds us of 2018. We did the same thing. Rodgers would would just say, "I'm just launching it. I'm just throwing throwing bombs. Third and two on the 40 yard line. I'm throwing a bomb. Like what are you doing?" And then and then <laughs> this made me so angry. Rodgers and McCarthy would both go to the, to the podium and say, we need to be more explosive down the field. We need more big plays. Bro, you don't need more big plays. You need to stop doing that. And I understand what they're saying in terms of if we can't figure out how to make that work, we're in trouble. But you're killing us right now trying to make something work that isn't there. Work with what you got. 
He goes on to talk about 2018. He says, Rodgers would play with frustration, feeling like offense wasn't doing enough for him, that he needed to play like a hero in order for all this to work. Back then, it was about designs. McCarthy failed to maximize his quarterback's weapons. Now, the designs are sound. LaFleur knows what buttons to press. It's about talent. The Packers lost their best two receivers and haven't been able to replace them. The passing game is suffering. Now, again, I would push back only slightly because, again, I'll make a video today. I don't care. I'll show you our receivers open. I'll show you Rodgers not throwing touchdown passes. Both of those times we kicked field goals, there was a touchdown sitting there. Now, maybe it's the offensive line's fault for not blocking long enough. Maybe it's Rodgers' fault for not just being a man and just throwing it. I mean, he even sh- he, he showed one of the plays I'm talking about. He, he did another video called Rodgers Deep Balls YOLO Vibes. Um, it was uh, Lazard got behind the safety and the corner. He's wide open for a walk-in touchdown, but he heave-hose it to... Um, I think he just launched it out of bound. So again, it's it's to say that it's well because we don't have the receivers, and then you made a video of a guy being wide open screaming down the field. I'll, I'll fully con- concede that you know MVS and Devonte is a better combo than Dobbs and Watson. Yes, Watson is faster, more athletic, and all that, but at least MVS had some concept of what he was supposed to do and was doing the right things that would catch passes from Rodgers. And uh, you know, Adams is not even worth debating. But the 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 very interesting part about this is when he starts to talk about how you solve it. He says, um, scheme can do some of the work. The Packers under center play action passing game is pretty good. Then they can use it more as they transition back to being a one-back offense that features Jones and occasionally rotating Dylan by using Tunyon and Lazard as stand-up receivers with Tyler Davis as a true tight end. They can model themselves after the 2017 Rams offense that LaFleur coordinated, living in 11 personnel and finding yards after the catch opportunities off of play action over the middle of the field. But... That requires Rodgers' acquiescence. It takes decision-making and progressions out of his hands. He'd have to become robotic, a cog in the machine, a point-and-shoot quarterback. This is what every single Packer fan on planet Earth wants from Aaron Rodgers. We love to death how great he is, how brilliant he is, but at this point in time, we need a guy that can shut his mouth, shut his brain off, as crazy as that sounds, and just be a robot. So I saw somebody uh, posted this quote, on Twitter, basically saying, you know, we want him to be Tom Brady. And and that was exactly right. That's what Tom Brady is. He's a guy that executes with precise precision. Just he is the, the most elite robot in football. Exactly as the play is designed, bang, 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 bang. He's an assassin down the field. Rodgers has got to figure stuff out. He's smarter than everybody else. He's got to do it all himself, bro. This, this isn't, you're not Michael Jordan on the Bulls, man. This is not basketball. This is not whatever sport, baseball maybe, I don't know, where you can just play hero ball and win it by yourself. This is a team game. We have a team plan, and you need to just be a piece of the The, the coach is going to call into play and say, this is what I want, and I want you to do it, and you just do it. You just have to do it. He says, I'm not convinced that Rodgers wants to be that. Back-to-back MVPs typically don't like to have their role on the offense diminished, especially when they're as enthusiastic about having influence over the team as Rodgers has been over the past few seasons. And Rodgers doesn't deserve to be minimized. He isn't the problem. He's uh, not playing the best ball, but he's frustrated with the poor weapons he's been provided, and understandably so. All that is correct. And it's the reason why, again, we come back to what? It's not going to change. The defense, here's the problems, here's what needs to happen in order for things to get better. That ain't going to happen. Here's how you fix the offense. But that ain't going to happen. That's not to say things can't just get better, but we're doing it the hard way. We're paddling upstream right now. 
We're trying to force this team to work in a way that Rodgers wants it to work, which is where guys are just really, really, really good at football and really know what they're doing, and we don't have those guys. We're going to try to win defense by not maximizing the talent, by playing a soft style of defense and just expecting everybody to execute very precisely so that it works because we have no creativity and they know what we're doing and we're facing really hard offenses that we shouldn't have to face because it's almost as if we're handing them the playbook. It's like we're, we're, we're deliberately playing the game on expert death mode while everybody else is just on normal mode and we're doing it to ourselves for no reason. We're making this harder than it has to be. And that's the reason we're a great team on paper, but not on the field. Because we are just way overcomplicating everything. He ends with Green Bay's diagnosis is easy. The prognosis isn't. It's difficult to see how everything that's bad gets better. But Rodgers is very, very good at quarterback. LaFleur is a very, very good coach. There's a rare nod to the coach and from a film guy at that. And again, he's not wrong. If you... It's, it's frustrating to watch, and it just feels like it's stagnating because Rodgers isn't calling the right plays. And then you watch it, and you're like, no, that, that was actually pretty awesome. That worked, that worked well. An embarrassing loss to the Giants on a weird day in London can certainly serve as a kick in the pants for the underperforming players, and a 3-2 and two, two start is not a big hole to climb out of, especially with soft open, uh, opponents like the Jets and Commanders. Blah, blah, blah. We need to take a break because we're 40 minutes into this. I still want to go over the Bill Huber thing because it really just continues to hammer home this point, and I, I, I guess that's what today is. Today is really, really firmly understanding what it is right now. What is happening? And then we just go on from there. So, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. By the way, thank you very, very, very much to Jason, our only October patron so far. I've been waiting to be like, I want to do this thing where I say thank you to the the people that highlight the people that um, gave this month, and I, I... the month's half over and <laughs> nobody's done it yet, but Jason's on the board. Thank you so much for your support, sir. I really, really appreciate that. Patreon.com forward slash back underscore daddy. Also, um, and I've been failing to mention this, uh, fertilegroundranch.org. You can find out what they're about. Please consider donating to their ministry. It's my father's ministry. Um, they're doing a lot of great work trying to help people that are really down and out, um, people coming out of prison. My dad is actually a... Um, the prison chaplain down there in uh, Indiana. So he's obviously working with a lot of them. And when they're able to come out, he can further help them when they get out. Um, but anyways, you can learn more about what they're doing there at fertilegroundranch.org. When you donate, whether you want to or not, you're going to be entered in to win a uh, signed Quay Walker jersey. So uh, more details on that. On uh, I believe Clayton has it on his Twitter. Uh, retweet his tweet or something to that effect. Um, I should probably know this stuff, but anyways, further reason to give to the cause. If you've already given, feel free to do it again. You know, I think $5 is an additional entry or whatever. So every $5, if you do 20, it's four more entries. Um, that's it. Fertilegroundranch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. 
Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, this is this is I this this is a hard pill to swallow day, right? That's what it is. And and again, this is not they can't fix it. This is just here are the issues. They are issues. They're very real. Everybody can see it. And you know what happens from here is is still somewhat of a mystery. Clearly, it can be changed, but there are complications. But to further hammer home the point about the defense, Bill Huber wrote this article, and it is it is damning. Packers uh, play of Packers secondary has been indefensible. It says the numbers are absurd. No secondary in the NFL has made fewer plays than Green Bay Packers high profile starting group. That must change starting Sunday against the Jets. I was stunned to see some of these stats. In fact, it was funny because when I went through the game, uh, the PFF stats from this past week, I went through and looked and I saw zero interceptions, zero pass breakups. And I thought that's weird. It's pretty rare to have zero pass breakups. I didn't realize how bad it was. Thanks to Bill for doing some of the work for us. Through the first five games of the 2019 season, the Green Bay Packers intercepted seven passes. Through the first five games of the 2020 season, the Packers have broken up seven passes. For all the focus on Aaron Rodgers' deep passing game and the end of the play calling and run defense, no part of the year's Packers, uh, no part of this year's Packers has been a bigger disappointment than the Green Bay's hyped secondary. The Packers entered Sunday's game with one interception and seven passes defensed. Both of those figures are an indictment of Joe Barry's defense, but the passes defense is spectacularly bad. After I read for a while, my brain freezes up. I'm sorry, you're going to have to hear me stagger through this. Picking a worst of the worst point of comparison is impossible. Green Bay's seven passes defensed are seven fewer than any other team in the league. In other words, the second worst has 14. We have seven. 14 ranks 31st. At the top of the list, the Jacksonville Jaguars have 33. Four teams have at least 30. Five teams have at least as many interceptions as the Packers have breakups. That includes this week's opponents, the New York Jets, who have seven interceptions and 23 passes defensed. Remember, one interception, seven pass breakups we have this year. Two individuals, Dallas's Trayvon Diggs and Kansas City's Charvarius Ward, have more passes defensed than the entire Packers defense. Jets rookie cornerback Ahmad Sauce Gardner has six pass breakups by himself. A rookie. 
as seven by six by himself. We have seven as a, as a team. Green Bay's secondary should be the driving force behind a powerful defense. Instead, it's been a major reason why the defense hasn't lived up to anyone's expectations. Jair Alexander, all pro in 2020 after intercepting one pass and breaking up 13, has only one breakup, his week two interception of Bears quarterback Justin Fields. Razul, a pro ball alternate last year after recording five interceptions and 13 passes defense, has more penalties, four, than he has passes defensed, two. Eric Stokes, who was worthy of all-rookie recognition last year after leading the team with 14 passes defense, that is a lot, has zero pass breakups. Added together, Alexander in 2020 and Douglas and Stokes in 2021 combined for seven interceptions and 40 passes defensed. Throw in the last year's production from safeties, safeties Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage in Green Bay's starting five in the secondary combined for 11 interceptions and 57 passes defensed. This year, the three cornerbacks have one interception and three passes defensed, and the starting five in the secondary has one and four passes defensed. Where has the production gone? I thought he said seven. Talking to Jerry Gray here, it says, This happened a couple times over my career, and I just think it happens in bunches. Defensive backs coach and passing game coordinator Jerry Gray said on Wednesday, Sometimes you look at the film and you see the safety from Pittsburgh. All of a sudden, he covers a guy. He gets blocked, and the ball goes through the tight end's hands. He's covering and into his hands. Oh, did he make a great play, or was it a tip play? So a lot of times you see it's happening on film, and you tell your guys, keep doing what you're doing. Don't start pressing, because as soon as you do, you're going to screw up. You can't press to make turnovers. They're going to happen. I'm a firm believer they happen in bunches. I have a theory before he continues here. There will not be a lot of passes defense when you're standing 10 yards off because you can't get there in time. You can barely get there in time to make the tackle. Just a thought. He goes on to say, that's nice, but Green Bay's defensive backs aren't even in position to make plays. During the first three seasons of Matt LaFleur's tenure, the Packers ranked 10th with 222 passes defense an incredible consistent 74 in each of those seasons. That's 4.53 per game. I did the math. That means we should be at 23-ish at this point. We have seven. I'm going to skip. He talks a lot about stats, but the last couple paragraphs here, it says, the big thing to me is the mental part of, hey, they're throwing the ball at me and they're not throwing to the other guys, Gray said. You want them to throw at you because that's how you make uh, your play. I think that's what he needs to get back to doing. That's my conversation with him. Talent is there. It's the same thing he got to last year. He's talking about Stokes. Often Green Bay's, this is just Bill talking, often Green Bay's cornerbacks are aligned well off coverage responsibilities. Is that a way to go give Alexander's skill, Douglas's physicality, and Stokes's speed? Gray said he wouldn't discuss scheme. That's the job of Joe Barry as the defensive architect, he said, but he knows his group must play better regardless of the call. Quote, we've got to be more aggressive ourselves and not sit there and wait for schematics or something like that to tell us what to do. So now even Jerry Gray's like, I don't know, man, that's not my deal. Talk to Joe about it. He literally said, go talk to Joe Barry about that. That's not my call. And while that's accurate, it certainly isn't a uh, DB coach saying, you guys are being ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with the scheme. There's nothing wrong with the play calls. We just got to be better as, as, as in, in execution. I got to be better in coaching these guys up, and the players got to be better at doing their job and, and, and sticking to their assignments. He didn't say that. He said, I don't know. Go talk to Joe about that. So that's where we're at through five weeks. That may not be where we're at against the Jets. I hope not. I hope we continue to win and win in convincing fashion going forward. But there, there are some, some massive strides. It, it's funny because I think the positive perspective on the Packers is that, man, we're so close. We're right there. There's just a couple little tweaks that need to be made. But as I step back and look at it, it feels like that's not true. We desperately need Christian Watson, and I don't think he's going to get up to speed. I don't think they're going to invest in him the way maybe they should. 
we need an MVS, right? He is the MVS, but we're not going to put him on the field. So now what do we do? We try to make Dobbs and Lazard MVS, and all the hype about Dobbs' speed, he ain't MVS. And he certainly isn't Christian Watson. From what I can tell, Matt LaFleur is, is doing a fantastic job of, of relying on scheme, and the scheme is getting these guys open, and that's about it. It's not, to, it's not to dig at him. You know, Lazard has his talents, and Randall has some great run after the catch, and he's, the timing is great, and the, he, knows, he knows what to do. I'm not trying to trash him. I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. We, we, this is, again, this is where we're at. We'll see. We'll see if they start, you know, if Rodgers starts playing more in structure. We'll see if we start hitting on some deep shots to Christian Watson and stretching the defense back out because, again, it's being compressed, and we need to push it back. We need to attack down the field. And we have done that with some success. I'm not going to pretend we haven't, but the point is it's becoming less and less. Like you said, the stats early in the year, Rodgers is extremely accurate, very good deep passing, all this stuff. And as the year's gone on, it's become bad. His accuracy has plummeted. His deep ball play has plummeted. Everything is going down the drain. And I don't think it's because he's playing worse. I just think we're, we're having things taken away from us. Everything's being compressed because we don't have as much that we can do. You know, when you got a guy like MVS, and, and you know, I don't think he was a great player, but he could run fast in a straight line, which Christian can too. But, but the thing is, you could actually threaten with MVS because once in a while, if he actually got behind you, we'd throw it. But when you got a guy like Devontae too, there's certain things you have to do. And it's going to limit a defense because if you don't pay extra special attention to Devontae, even if we don't do something special to scheme him open, which we will, you're, you're going to get cooked. And so you have to do that. And then that, that lightens up things everywhere else. So, I don't know. I, 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 again, I'm, I'm going to be pessimistic and assume that people won't change. Joe Barry is not going to change. Um, Aaron Rodgers is not going to change. Nothing is really going to change. This is just what it is. This is what we do. This is how we play, and the expectation is you get up to speed. But again, we're, we're, we're playing on expert mode while everybody else has got it set to normal, and I don't know why we need to do that. Make some tweaks. Make some changes. Make it easier on yourself. It's amazing that the second year in the system and our guys know how to play less than they did last year. They're more confused than they've ever been. Why is that happening? Again, where do you put that other than coaching? When guys in the second year don't know how to do basic stuff like passing off, uh, is Quay Walker that big of an issue? Where we're trying to get him involved, it's throwing everything off with the two linebackers? Is that really just throwing everybody off or what? Everybody's lost. I don't get it. Is it an effort thing? Are they just not putting in the work? Are the DBs just just in I don't care mode? Not putting in work, not putting in effort? Amos and Savage, remember how bad of a year they started off at? And I think Amos is slowly climbing out of that hole. Savage is not. We don't even have decent DBs right now. And I'm not commenting on their talent level. I'm saying, again, forget everything you know about 2019, 2020, and 2021. I'm looking just at 2022. Brand new... The, the, take away the names and faces. This is a this is this is a video game, and I'm trying to assess how good they are. They're not good. They're not good. Why? And the fact of the matter is, no matter what the answer is, it's a coaching problem. Even if the players are going out and just having a party and not doing anything, and they're showing up drunk to the game and everything else. Guess what? It's still a coaching thing. Your players are not buying in. They're not putting in effort. They don't care. They're not studying. If it's not that, if it's, if it's too complicated, that's your fault. If it's too simple, that's your fault. If they're not buying in, that's your fault. If they're not trying, that's your fault. Your job, all of that, and Matt LaFleur as well. It's not just Joe Barry. And Matt, Matt, is, Matt is the head coach. 
He needs to recognize stuff. And if things are not right, he needs to set it right. And not just say, you know, I understand there's a there's this this line you're not supposed to cross where, you know, he's the defensive guy. You gotta let him do what he does. But at some point you gotta you gotta step up and say, This isn't good enough, dude. This is not it. This isn't working. I'm sorry. So again, I I will I'm gonna watch the Jets game. I'm going to uh try to forget everything. Forget even these last couple games, not not just 2021, but 2019. And I'm just watching my football team play another football team. I'm not going to pretend that I know anything about the Jets and, well, we're great and they're horrible and so my expectation... No, it's two, as far as I'm concerned, perfectly evenly matched football teams. That's what I'm going to watch. Two perfectly evenly matched football teams. Every week I'm going to watch that. And we'll see what happens. And then after that, we can start worrying about evaluation. Are things changing schematically? Or are they doing the same stuff? They're running more pony package. Are they running the ball more? All these little things we're worrying about, we'll try to worry about that later. I just want to sit down and watch a football game between two teams, one of which is the team I root for. But got some got some problems here. It's also crazy how unique the problems are. It's very rare to see a team with this much talent perform so poorly. Again, it, it, it baffles me sometimes to see some teams with just nobody really step up. I mean, the, the Rams defense is, is one of them. They got Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey's whatever, not as good as everybody says, but fine. You got you got two guys and a bunch of nobodies. That that team had no outside linebackers for years. Aaron Donald was the only guy in that entire front. The defensive tackles next to him were terrible. Pass rushers are terrible. Linebackers are terrible. Maybe they had like a safety and a corner. Remember, Jalen wasn't there the whole time. Still have had dominant defenses. The Chiefs, same thing. Got a great defensive tackle, maybe a corner, maybe a safety, but nowhere near the pedigree of what the Packers have, and, and they show up, and they get the job done, and go down the line, everybody. Tampa Bay has a lot of talent back when they were the number one defense in football. What did they do? They stacked it up with talent, they put the talent in the best place to succeed, and they had a dominant defense. Seems to me you don't need a good defensive coordinator, you just need a basic, competent defensive coordinator to be able to get, you know, what you would expect from these guys, you know? I'm not asking for above and beyond. That's a different thing. I just want basic. But again, I don't know. I don't I don't know the answer and we don't need to worry about it. We don't need to worry about replacing Joe Barry cuz that's not going to happen. Not this year. We don't need to worry about replacing Rodgers, Matt LaFleur. We don't need to worry about getting rid of Amari Rodgers. We don't need to worry about any of that stuff cuz none of those things are going to happen. Well, maybe Amari, but it, either way it's inconsequential to our lives. And even if you're in your wildest dreams if we did fire Joe Barry after 5 weeks, what do we do now? You think if you ele- elevate Joe Jerry Gray it's just going to fix everything? Of course it's not. You're going to go to go out and get a guy with a great track record who, like Mike Pettin, even Wink Martindale, you know, he's he's this prized guy who did a great job in, in Baltimore and is now seemingly doing a great job for the Giants. He did not have a very good track record prior to going to Baltimore. I mean, he was in Baltimore for a long time and worked his way up, but I think he was a defensive coordinator once before. The defense was a disaster. He ended up getting fired, goes back to Baltimore. Just kind of not a good track record, but for whatever reason, he ended up getting the job and he dominated and he's a great defensive coordinator. You don't always know, although I did and still probably do want Jack Del Rio, although I think he got himself in trouble and probably isn't going to be, I don't know. That was that was who I wanted over, I think, Mike Pettin back in the day, and he ended up getting hired somewhere else, and that defense was awesome. He's, he's, he's always been a good defensive coordinator everywhere he goes, but it doesn't matter what I think. And again, it's not worth even discussing it because we're not firing him. So uh, it's another week of we know the talent's there. Let's hope we can see it. I know the offense can be better. I know the defense can be better. And um, every week that they're not, the problems compound. 
and the likelihood of it getting better diminishes. Number one, because it's just becoming more clear that this is just what it is. But beyond that, you're also getting a lot of negativity going on inside the players, inside the locker room, inside, you know, the individuals, the relationships are are fragmenting. The the, the buy-in from the players to the coaches is, is getting lessened, and that makes it almost impossible to rebound. And at that point, you have no choice but to start fresh. Because as long as the players don't buy in, you, you, there's no there's no hope. So... Bottom line, we need a big win against the Jets. And yeah, it's going to be followed by a bunch of, I told you, you bunch of idiots, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm stating what's very obviously in front of our faces and what the future holds, I don't know. But they need a very big win, and I hope that they get it. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. Hopefully, uh, the Bears get embarrassed. Probably not, because football has just been a disaster lately. Nothing good has happened in a very long time. But I need it. I I need Washington to just embarrass the Bears. In fact, I would rather the Bears just embarrass themselves. Every week, I just look for the opportunity to drop that line. This team puts the Bear in embarrassing. (laughs) That's my dad joke. Anyways, I'm out of here. You guys have a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.